0: On this episode of the Culture Pop Podcast, Sue's golf game is a work in progress, and I'm about to join her. How do you react when you see somebody wearing a toupee? And stand-up comic and Broadway star Mario Cantone joins us to talk about appearing in the Sex and the City follow-up series, and just like that, for HBO. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or at stevemason.com. And don't forget, leave us a rating and a review. The Culture Pop podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob and Ronnie. Accident. For injury, call Jacob. i Ronnie. Call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, eight four four twenty four 24 jacob That's eight four four twenty four 24 jacob Or visit calljacob.com. Call jacob everybody welcome to the culture pop podcast i'm steve mason along with sue Kolinsky. sue baloo how you doing how you feeling
1: feeling good steve it's a
0: lovely lovely
1: gloomy gloomy day here in long beach and now, how's um, your
0: golf game by the way
1: well you know i
0: <laughs> i know why I that spoke, it well, just I, randomly I, popped into my head
1: Okay. So I spoke too soon the other day. I told you I've got it. I felt really good. I had a great day. I had like five pars. I had a birdie and then I went out and played with my, uh, my other like three buddies and I hit the driving range and hitting the ball. Just amazing, which sometimes isn't always a good indication. Yes. And actually the first two holes were great. And we played with, uh, with one guy that we didn't know, and the third hole, I almost um I should should have birdied. I I didn't par. I like three putted mm-hmm. and then I unraveled and I started oh, no. cursing. And you know, this poor guy who's like playing with us, he's like looking at me, you know, just very mild mannered Asian guy. And um, you know, I can only think of what my my Because you're were like, thinking.
0: you you just melted down.
1: I melted down a little bit, like you know, it was like a par three. I think it was like the hole was like I don't know, eighty yards, and I you know take out my pitching wedge and look up, and it goes off to the right, and then it went into from one sand trap into another sand trap, and then I I actually got my composure, and then on the back nine it was a lot better. I had a, a couple of pars, I had some unbelievable approach shots, had some great great putts, um, but overall was not as good as i as it was the the prior time but mm. this the crazy thing about golf for me anyway is that i know exactly what i'm doing wrong yeah right right it's just being able to have that consistency of it's it's something that if you just tell people it seems so simple to just keep my head back as i'm going through hitting yes. the ball yes. and that's really what it's all about for yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Every time I keep my head back, I I follow through and I hit the ball like high up in the air and far.
0: <laughs> yeah. So that's and, the key. So why not just do it? Why don't I do it?
1: Yeah. Why don't you do it? I don't know. And I I talk to myself. I'm like, keep your head down. Just keep your head back. Just keep your head back. And then, and then I don't. And it's like, I'm having a conversation with myself like a crazy person on the golf course. It's like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. No, I
0: look, golf is golf is fun. I actually had a good time when I was out golfing. I am in the market for a set of used clubs because I want to be able to go out and play, at least play like some par three and do some of that stuff.
1: Oh, that's um, great news because I thought you told me that you were done.
0: Yeah. The problem is then then we sit here, we have conversations like this. It's like, am I enjoying? Like, do you have fun playing golf?
1: Well, I, I do when I'm, I mean, I would say that probably 60% of the time yesterday, I had a great time.
0: So 60% of the time yesterday, you had a great time. And then the other 40% was you muttering at yourself? Yes.
1: Forty yeah. percent muttering, sixty percent uh, gleeful.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, our, our for our mutual friend Dave Singer, uh, who just had a back thing that he's gotten over with. He's he's gone back to uh, play at uh, Rancho Park, uh, my home course. It's an executive course, my home course, uh, and I decided, you know, so I'll, I'll get at least get a couple of clubs to be able to go out and play so we can go out and and play again. I don't, I don't know that I'm necessarily ever going to be a guy who goes to a country club and plays 18 holes. I'm just never, ever going to be that guy.
1: Oh, you know what? I, you know, Tom has a set of clubs and Tom never plays. Really? Yeah. So why don't I just, why not just give, give you his
0: clubs? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Will will he mind? No. Will he notice?
1: I'm I'm speaking, you know, he probably won't even notice. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah, and and uh, I'll bring them to you and uh, and we'll go to that par three.
0: Okay, good, good. Now, I'm not going to do a whole bunch of practicing beforehand. Okay. I'm not going to like make myself crazy like I was when I was in the middle of that big golf event fundraiser thing that we did, me versus Ireland and all that business. I'm not going to do, but I, but to go out and uh, to just mess around a little bit. Yeah, I'm all in.
1: I'm all in. Oh, I'm so excited to hear you say this. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks I- for me. Well, you know, it, it was so much fun going out with you and
1: Dave, and then non not step let um stepdad Leo came that one time, and yeah, that was yeah. fun. So um yeah, we should get the band back together.
0: We will do it. We will do it. So uh, we got uh, Mario Cantone coming up for you, who is just fantastic. One of one of my all time favorite guests that we've ever had. Um, in the meantime, Sue, so you always pull a couple of uh, a couple of things, a couple of stories that you come across. Uh, weird stuff, offbeat stuff. What did what, you come up with?
1: This one is is really bizarre, and um, there's a lot of information missing from this story. Okay, but the gist of it is um, there, there, uh, like in, there, there was an employment tribunal. Okay, okay, in Great Britain, that ruled that calling a man bald is inherently related to sex. Mm. And therefore is a, is a form of discrimination in the workplace. So there was this guy, Tony Finn, he, uh, 64 year old electrician. He sued his former employee for unfair dismissal and sexual action after he was fired. And he says, basically, um, uh, there was a colleague at the business factory, this guy named Jamie King, who referred to him as a fat, bald C word. Mm. Right. So he got fired. It doesn't say anything about like, was he a bad electrician? I mean, did he, did he like electrocute somebody? Sure. Um, Was it bad, like faulty wiring? It's all about the language um, that was, that was, that was said to him. Now, the thing is, is that the case, um, his lawyer claimed, well, the, basically that, um, that the the business was right to, oh yeah, they said that calling him bald and basically calling him bald was the equivalent of commenting on the size of women's breasts because what? they said it had like a sexual connotation. Really? And then his lawyers were saying, well, you know, there are some women
0: that actually are bald. Well, that <laughs> is true. I mean, there are and, women who have hair loss. Right.
1: And there are men that have breasts.
0: <laughs> that is true. That is true. <laughs> so,
1: um, so he won his case, and uh, I, so, I the, he, so.
0: The takeaway here is that he won his case. They got in trouble because they called him bald. Bald, right?
1: They called him bald, and that was um, a form of dis, um, discrimination that they claimed was sexual harassment.
0: Boy, first of all, bald is just a fact, right? You either exactly. are or you are not. It is a exactly. state of being.
1: That's like you know saying that you know you're tall. Ah, the guy's the guy's really tall, you know. Yeah, or, yeah. Or someone's really short, you know. Look, I mean, he was definitely being goaded at work, you know, because of, of being bald. But by
0: the way, the thing I'm surprised at, he they called and him, it went to court. Fat was okay.
1: Fat, no. Well, I guess calling him fat, bald was not
0: okay. Fat was okay. The c-word well, is just the c-word. Yeah.
1: Word. The c-word. But it was actually bald was the worst part of it.
0: <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I is do you have a an issue anymore if you are? Like I've got friends who are like I just got together with my uh, fraternity brothers. Oh, a couple of them have shaved heads. It's like, bald's not even a thing anymore. Like, why is bald even a thing? When I was like, growing up, I mean, to go bald was like a really scary, bad thing that people were. Fr- now people are just like, yeah, I own this. I'm just going to shave what I've got. Absolutely. And, and it's totally fine. I don't understand the discriminants, the discrimination Aspect of this,
1: I can't believe that it actually even went to a tribunal. <laughs> I mean, it's like it must be some slow days in in the judicial system. There must in Great be Britain. There must be. be. I, it's it's just mind boggling to me. It sounds like something that you would like go, you know, to the you know, you complain to a teacher or like mom. He's calling me bald again.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know I mean? Right.
1: It just now, did the guy so get childish. his job
0: back, or did he just get money, or what happened?
1: Well, I whoever wrote this. Like it seems like they just like took a vacation right after they reported. Oh, is that right? Because
0: there's very little follow-up. There's there's no
1: follow-up. It doesn't say anything. It says that he won the case. It doesn't say anything about how much money he he made or whether um someone bought him a toupee or um anything like that. There's there's no there's no end game here. It's just that he won the case and and that was it. So I don't know whether winning the case meant you know meant something to him it's like oh i got fired but at least i won the case but yeah but now you don't
0: have a job right right well you yeah. know it's funny i this makes me think of a story when i was working in ohio uh working in toledo there was a guy named michael regai r e g h i michael regai who was the sports guy on the local nbc affiliate i think it was channel 13 in toledo and uh Michael Regei had a receding hairline. And all of a sudden, one day, he showed up for work and had a toupee. And me being the the guy that I am, immediately went on the air and started calling him Michael Regei. It was so... (laughs) Oh my God! Oh, so brutal! It oh. was so brutal. But I mean, it's right like that joke. You're yeah. you're a comic, you know. If you leave a joke like that just laying on the table, doesn't somebody have to pick that up, or oh, else?
1: That, oh, absolutely! You can't <laughs> let that one. That's a fat one over the plate. Speaking of fat ball guys, <laughs> exactly.
0: So Michael Ruggi, uh, we we called him that. It turned into a gigantic thing. He ended up leaving the market. I think going to Cleveland maybe three months later. Never talked to him again. Uh, but I don't know how you are meant to react to somebody who all of a sudden has a hairpiece or a toupee.
1: Well, and the are you supposed
0: is, to ignore it?
1: You, how do you ignore it? You know, I had a friend years ago, it was a comic, who had a receding hairline, same thing. And he started wearing a toupee. And <laughs> I actually looked at him one day and I said, you have to take that off. It is completely ridiculous. You know, and he was a good friend of mine. Right. I was like, maybe a lot of, a lot of people are looking at you and thinking the same thing. You're a good looking guy. Yep. Do you really think that you're not getting women because of that? That is not the reason. I don't know what the reason is. Um, I, but that is definitely not the reason. Yeah. Um, I remember, you know, this is funny when I first started dating Tom you know cuz tom you know he has a you know his hair is thinning you know yeah right and um i guess um r- well right before i started dating tom his uh, our neighbor his neighbor who became my neighbor was uh describing him to some woman and saying something about his hair you know thinning you know she was giving like physical attributes about him and mm-hmm. he got kind of insulted about it and i said you are the only one who's thinking about it, Tom, I said, I mean, she she made that comment to her friend. I said, but I, that is like women don't really care about stuff like that because there are guys I've always think of like guys like Ed Harris, who's just so hot and sexy, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's just not an issue. And unfortunately, it's an issue for the guy because you know, you're losing your hair. I mean, it's but you know it is, a you know, weird, part of, weird part of it is,
0: I think Sue is that it's whether or not you own it. Right. So it's whether or not you own it. So I, I Michael rug eye aside, um, <laughs> went on a, uh, went on a date, actually a f- series of dates with a guy years ago. Um, and good looking dude, ball cap on all the time. Um, and I didn't realize until maybe the fifth or the sixth day that there was nothing under the ball cap that he was, he was bald. And so for me, it was the fact that he was hiding it and wasn't owning it that made it not attractive. You know what I'm saying? Like a different guy, probably Ed Harris owns it. Right. 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 This guy did not.
1: Yeah, I mean I would be taken a little aback, you know, like probably years ago if I met a guy and he was wearing a hat and then all of a sudden he took his hat off and I was like, Oh, bald guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Because, you know, it it kind of changes what a person looks like. But sure. I think you're I think you're totally correct. You know, there there are guys that are just so self conscious about it, but it's deeper than that. They're self conscious about other things about right. Themselves. Well, and I, I you know was thinking I mean? about
0: it in this way. So I, you know, we talk, I I Focus on you know trying to be at a certain healthy weight and all that kind of stuff. So there are guys that weigh what I weigh because I probably got an extra ten pounds on me. So so if I just owned it, I think I would be better off than if I just spent a lot of time focusing on it. You know what I'm saying? Like I see guys who are heavier than me um, who just don't give a give a fuck, and they they seem to do better. I'm because I'm co- uh, conscious of it. It seems to trip me up. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, yeah. Because you know, a lot of times you see really hot women with like fat guys.
0: Yeah. Well, my and, dad used and, and to walk. Say, my, my dad used to walk around. He pat his belly and say, "I own this. I earned right. this." He would say, "I earned this." Right. Right. A right. little bit more of that attitude would help, whether it be bald or fat or whatever it happens to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So interesting. All right. Uh, so tell you what. I've been excited about this one. Um, Our guest today is a uh, stand-up comic and actor. He made his Broadway debut replacing Nathan Lane and Terrence McNally's Love, Valor, Compassion. Went on to do not one, but two one-man shows on Broadway, including Laugh War*, which earned a Tony nomination in 2005. He was a regular on Sex and the City. More recently, the Sex and the City follow-up series and Just Like That. And he was a regular on the Steve Mason, Sue Kalinske Morning Show on WNEW in New York, New York, back uh, in 99, 2000 when we were doing mornings there. Mario Cantone joins us. Mario, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Steve. That was abrupt. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's, uh, there, there's always there's always a beginning. So you're in the middle of show, as you just said. I, I don't yeah. know. You're, you did a show last night. I
2: get to show. I, I, I perform at the Carlisle. There's not too many comedians that do the Carlisle. I think it's like me and Wayne Brady, but we're both very musical too. So, you know, we have our band and stuff, but I, yeah, I, I, I like it there. It's a little jewel of a room and I usually hate small clubs, but I think it's cause it's the Carlisle and it's very historic and it's the cachet of it and the, the you know, the elderly elitist homosexual that I am inside of me. He loves me, loves it. too, loves to do it. Yeah. So it, so yeah, I did one last night. I'm doing one tonight and and then I have to go to LA tomorrow to do an episode of Raven's home with. Ah. Sheridan. And oh, I Simone. was going to say, yeah. yeah. Well, Raven's a good friend too. I mean, I've known her for quite some time. I call her my daughter. So uh, I'm, I'm doing that. So that's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, I'm I'm tired, though. I'm like, "Eh." it's a lot. That's, it's just, it hasn't stopped since the new series, the end just like that happened.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about it and and just like that. Um, You want to? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. (laughs) So, Sex and the City, obviously, was a meteoric success. Uh, You were a big part of that. Uh, The show.
2: Well, you were. Not a big part of it. You were part of it kind of splashes of gayness with me. Right. I only right. did 12 episodes, you know. I, I didn't I realize in that. In the, yeah, I you came, came in, in the, later, yeah. I came in in the third season, and I, I did like one episode of the third season, and then it got a lot of kind of, I don't know, love. It was before social media, so I don't know. They weren't like likes or shit like that. It was just, I don't know. They got, they got a lot of feedback about it, and I ended up doing two episodes the fourth, season and then three episodes the fifth season and then six episodes the sixth season and then I did both movies which kind of solidified it and then this happened and it kind of upped the game for me it's the first time I've ever been a regular on on a series I've always been a recurring thing um so this is a first this is a big deal for me it's it's and it's it's a uh, nice that it's happening that's I'm lucky that they I mean who knew it was going to come back I didn't
1: So I want to ask you, since we both are friends with Michael Patrick King, who is the executive producer. We started with
2: him. We knew him when, didn't we? We
1: did. Do you know? (laughs) I don't know if you know this, but I co-signed for his first credit card. He was living in a basement apartment on the Upper West Side. Couldn't barely afford his rent. Um, Oh, wow. So did did he call you and say, I have this part for you?
2: He did, but it was a one-off. It was one episode and I was doing an off Broadway play at the time called the Crumble zone. And I wasn't sure they were going to let me out of the tech rehearsal, which tech is you stand around and they light you. It's like, really, you're not going to let me out for the day. Uh, so I was like, I don't care what you can fire me. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm doing the episode. Um, so, and so yeah, he wrote, he, and he wrote it for me. And I went in just as a um, formality to read for them and, And that was that. And then the rest is history that took a very long time to get up to this point. So yeah. Yeah.
0: So he did write it for me. When, when they came back to you when when he came back to you and and brought up the idea of the show, did you think, Oh yeah, this is a good time to, to bring back a show like this. Did it feel like a natural, uh, a, a natural move?
2: Um. Well, because we didn't do the third movie, I thought, yeah, it's a natural move because people were really disappointed and they wanted to see it. Yeah. And I didn't know what capacity I was going to be used in. I don't think he really knew either right away. Um, but I mean, I was, I mean, in my mind, I was like, I better be a regular on this thing. I hope so. And, you know, I didn't even have to ask. I, he just kind of went in that direction with it for me and for Willie. Um so yeah, that was that, and I I I was look, I was just happy it happened. You know, whether it was a good time or not, I was like, who cares? <laughs> Let's go! Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah.
1: how, how much how much input do you, did did was afforded to you,
2: um, for well, your character? I I mean, you know, he writes very specific. First of all, he writes beautifully for me. I feel like he writes for me better than anybody. He's it's just glorious stuff, especially this last, uh, the new series. So, um, I mean, I I, I don't improvise that much. I, I think the most, I maybe improvised one little line in my first episode years ago. And I think the first movie, it was a writer's strike, so he couldn't rewrite. So he let me improvise and he used a lot of some of, of, of that um, in this one. There was a few little things here and there, but mostly it's him because he knows me so well. He just knows what I sound like. How
1: privy are you to uh, what's coming up in future episodes? I mean, did you have know no idea. like Mr. Big, was that like a total shock to you when he was Yeah, he
2: uh, the episode? I knew that but I knew that was going to happen. Like I remember that the first table read of, of In Just Like That. He was like, they didn't send you the scripts. I was like, no. And he was like, Whoa. I was like, don't get mad. I said, I don't care. I said, I'm not one of those people who's like, I need those scripts. I need to, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll see it at the table. read. That's how I like to do it. I don't need to be privy to these things. I don't. Uh, and I'm not one of those people that's like, Michael, can I talk to you for a second about what this says? I don't do any, I keep my head down or I actually keep my head head forward and I just do what he tells me (laughs) to do. Cause Even if I doubt it in my head, when I see it, I go, "Oh, he was right." You know, I, I I don't. He's. I would really walk into a room blindfolded with him. He's just. He's. He's um, blindfolded uh, with it. I would. I would because he just knows what he's doing with me. He really knows what he's doing.
0: Yeah. What do you you think makes that show? gives that show such appeal not just from you know 20 years ago but for today like what makes it relevant why why has it worked so well
2: well the original series when you watch it now it just holds up and I don't know it was just ahead of the curve and it it, women just you know women love it I mean there are men that love it and gay men love it of course but um I don't know. I can't even answer that question. I have no idea what it is. It's just the quality's good. That's how I feel about it. And, you know, women want to be those women and they all, I mean, because it was four of them, you know, I'm Carrie, I'm Miranda, I'm Samantha, I'm Charlotte. They all think they're some, one of those people. I mean, I've had, I remember when it was at the peak, when when I first and realized how big it was. I was in new Orleans at like a block party and I was being like grabbed in every direction. That's never happened before. And I was like, Oh, and one girl was like, I'm Carrie. I was like, you're not Carrie. You're not Carrie. (laughs) You're who you are. What's your name? Michelle. You're Michelle. Um, so yeah, they all, they, they all relate to it. And you know, it's the interesting thing is I I live down the street from the meatpacking district where they filmed a lot of the original series. And, uh, it made it accelerated the renovation and the rebuild of the meatpacking district, and it being this cool area. It did that, so that's that's something it did. Just kind of uh, geographically, um, and I can't go down there on on weekends because drunk girls in short skirts scream at me. So um, you know, the, the boy, if I was straight, huh? Uh, yeah but so yeah it, it,
0: your your character is a uh, is is a baker is is he's a, a
2: thank god because he wasn't he was a wedding planner in the original i planned charlotte's wedding and, and then carrie's wedding in the movie and i i was a wedding planner that's what i did and i couldn't plan a wedding if you paid me a million dollars, I didn't get that gay jean. I don't, I have to say to my husband, does this match? Is this okay? I mean, I know what looks good. on I me mean, when I put it on, but I don't like a wedding dress. Like when I, the first episode I did early on in, in 2000 where, or 99, where, where I had to say like, okay, the, the pink applique with the lace, I was like, I don't know what that means. I have no idea. Shoes don't care. You know, I don't care about that stuff. Um, so I bake in real life. And before COVID, I had a sourdough starter, and um, and I was making sourdough bread. And Michael didn't even know that. He knew I baked, though. He knew that because he's known me for years. And he was like, "I think I knew." I'm like, "Yes, you had. Me. Of course you did. It was in the back of your mind. Why did you make me a baker?" Um, so, and in the in, in the new series, I say, I, "I." Charlotte says, "Who knew this little smelly sourdough starter was gonna, you know, erupt into this business?" And. I had a sourdough starter and I showed Michael, I said, look, I have pictures of me on Instagram with my sourdough bread and I had the starter and you have to feed that starter every day (laughs) or you got to put it in the refrigerator and you can feed it every few days. So when I traveled, I had to fucking travel with it. I had to like wrap it up in my suitcase and put it in and it would like leak and I was like, finally, it was like having an infant. I was like, finally I had to kill the baby. I'm like, I'm done with this thing. I'm throwing it out the window. The, The starter with the baby in the bath water is going out the window I'm done. So I stopped, but I, but I bake, you know, I bake, I bake a banana bread and I sell it to a coffee shop down the street to a place called stone street coffee, which actually just opened in LA on Melrose. Mm. Um, it's bathtub. Gin is upstairs. Stone street coffee is downstairs. And then here it's smaller. So it's a, it's a small little storefront coffee place and in the back. There's a speakeasy called bathtub. Gin. my friend David Ozzo owns it. So I, I bake banana bread him not you know every week I do have a life but when I feel like it I bring him banana bread and you know he pays me for it
1: were you were you doing this stuff back in the day when we were doing stand-up together
2: I was always baking yeah I think I was baking banana bread and I was baking brownies and, and blondies and you know whoopie pies and and you know I make the best sweet potato pie a white boy ever made um I, I make a lot of stuff. I love baking. I do. The yeast stuff, though, like that was new for me. I never did like yeast breads, but, and they came out really good. I want to do it again, but I have to get a good starter. I have to get somebody to give me some ancient old starter.
1: Now, what is it? What is it about the starter that, that it makes it so difficult? To I don't, it, it
2: gives it the sourdough taste. I mean, that's what does it. I mean, you can make it with yeast, but sour, the starter, Some do half and half yeast and starter. I don't know. It just. At what
0: age did you start this process?
2: Baking. Oh, well, my mother did not want me to bake. She thought it would turn me gay. I was like, really? I was like, what am I going to snort the baking powder? And it's going to make me a flaming homosexual. Too late, ma. Gay gay starter. It's a gay starter. Exactly. (laughs) But no, she didn't want me to bake. I would bake stuff when she was out playing cars and she would come in and see like a few drops of flour behind the toaster oven. She would like be like, what did you do? I'm like, "Oh, oh, my God. Really? Can I, you tell, her, I would, you
1: tell, tell her it was cocaine instead? I know. <laughs> she no, would have liked that better.
2: She, she probably would have. At least it's something a, a man would do. Um, Yeah. She, she, and I would have like, you know, my brother went, my older brother Teddy would have like parties when they would go out and break coffee tables and crazy. I didn't. I had like, the most I did was I had two different dinner parties and had eight people each night. My mother was in Vegas and you know, she saw the scuffs in the rug not dirt, just like she saw footprints. She was like, "Who was here?" I was like, "Nobody." You know, I had dinner parties. Beef stew. I made one night. One night, I made pasta. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> Very civilized. Was not chaotic, but she still didn't like it.
0: So now, your mom was, if I'm not mistaken, I know this. I remember this. I think because my aunt was in this business. uh My aunt was a bookie. Was your your mom was a bookie, right? Yeah, she was. She was a bookie, um, and
2: but the problem was with her sisters, Joe and Mickey, um, w- who lived in Everett, Massachusetts. And they, oh yeah, they were bookies, and my mother also was a compulsive gambler, which was you know not a good combination. It's like <laughs> it's like you know selling the cocaine and doing it. If you just sell it, you stay out of trouble. She bet and booked. So when I was two weeks old, they busted the house. Cause my mother, my mother lived across the yard in another house with my father and Mickey and Joe lived in a house upstairs and downstairs. And they, um, were booking and betting, and they were booking mostly. And, uh, they, they got busted. And then the phone that they tap they tapped was my father's phone, my mother's phone, but it was under my father's name. So they came in and they were ripping up the slips and flushing them down the toilet before they came, like it was drugs. But they were like, you know, betting slips. And you know, and my sister Marion was there with her boyfriend and she was just mortified. And like, ah, what are you doing? And it, you know, screaming at the cops. And uh, yeah, it, it was uh it was chaotic. So my mother, um my father took the rap because then his name, and he wasn't even doing anything. I hmm. was doing nothing. He owned a restaurant. Um, so they were all Italian and they all thought it was like, okay. Um, so my father took the rap and he got a suspended sentence. And the lawyer said to him, Look, he wasn't going to go to jail. He just got a suspended sentence. He said, Look, I can get the suspended sentence wiped off your record. Let's appeal this. I promise you. His lawyer said this. So he goes back, they appeal it, and he gets three months in jail. So he goes to jail for three months and he comes out. Cut to a year later, they Moved, um, but probably like two years later, they moved from Everett to Stoneham, Massachusetts, ten minutes away. Because he wanted to get her, my father wanted to get her away from her, her, her sisters, and so she'd stop booking and betting mostly. So we moved. She, she like did some big gambling thing one more time, and they had to mortgage the house. Um, but she stopped booking, and then she really stopped gambling. And my father started booking. She taught him to book. But he wasn't a better. But he was booking sports and stuff, and he owned a restaurant at sixty nine Broad Street in Boston. And he gets busted in the mid seventies, and they are, they you know he he has to go to court. He goes to court, and the lawyer his the judge is the lawyer that told him to appeal. Wow. The, the, the judge let him off. The judge slash slash lawyer let him off. That sounds like bullshit because my brother told me that. The night of my father's funeral, I was like, really? That sounds like fiction. He goes, no, 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 this really happened. I'm like, wow. So, yeah, that's that. And, um, yeah, my father owned a restaurant in Boston called Cantones. And um, in the 70s and the early 80s, it was like one of the hottest new wave rock and roll clubs in the, in Boston. It was like the Ratskeller and, and, and Cantones. So, so it, sounds like, Maria, it sounds like Mario, it sounds
0: like both your parents are sort of like big they were colorful people, right? Your, your mom, yeah. your dad. I mean, is that part of where you're because you're, you're, a, you're a, 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 a an unbelievably entertaining, funny, charming guy. Does a lot of that come from, from your parents? No, my,
2: my mother was funny. She was dark and moody and very depressed, but she was funny. My father was a sweet guy. He wasn't really hilarious. Um, my mother's family though, like my 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 cousins and my aunts, they were all very very funny. My sister was very funny. It all it all probably uh, comes from that. My mother also was a singer on the radio on WMEX years ago. Hmm. Um, like when she was young, that's what she wanted to be was a singer. She had a good voice, so all that music comes from her too. The music that I love, like she loved Judy Garland and. Which in turn, you know, is the thing that probably made me gay. She used to make me fucking get up on the table, and I knew every word of the Judy Garland Carnegie Hall album, double album set. At two years old, I would get up on the coffee table and sing it. And then she didn't like the fact that I was gay. I was like mixed messages,
0: mom. <laughs> right, right. And she was concerned about the baking.
2: I know <laughs> the baking, the Judy, and then Funny Girl. I love Barbara Streisand, and she used to make me sing that. You know, once that came out, you know, I would sing for company. She, you know, she knew, she thought I was very talented when she would come see me and show. She was very proud, but she didn't show it too much. But she also thought I shouldn't do this because it's a horrible business because she saw my sister go into it. And my sister went into it and moved to New York. And every time she auditioned, it was always like between her and someone else. And then someone of the other person would get it. She just knew it was a wretched, difficult business. And I was like, well, I don't know what else to do. So this, I'm doing it. I'm like, well, why don't you, you know, be a teacher? I was like, I don't want to be a teacher. Well, take something to fall back on when you go to college. You know, well, if you're gonna are well, going be an actor, why are you going to college? Why waste the money? I'm like, because I want to go to college. So, you know.
1: So she had way. this fear that you were gonna be gay. What 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 was her reaction when she found out you were gay?
2: Well, you know, I never said it to her, but she knew I would go to Provincetown on week some weekends. And she boy, it was very, it was just, it was difficult. It was scary because she scared me and I would just leave and go. And she, well, it was weird. And she knew. And I remember when I was in Provincetown for the summer after my freshman year in college. And now my sister was always playing there every summer. She always played the clubs because she had her nightclub at. So it was okay that I was there. And my cousin owned the Pilgrim House at the time. So it was okay. It was kind of okay that I was there. But I remember one time she came to see me and my father came. My father was amazing. My father put his arm around me. We were walking down Commercial Street. He bought me a ring. You know, I mean, he was like, you know, Woody Allen. um So he, he—I'm kidding. He was <laughs> <laughs> but he, he was like, you know, my father was so straight; it was ridiculous. But he always said, because I was remember watching the Menendez trial, and he was like, he, you know, he, my father had a lot of other women, and he was like, you know, I said to him, Dad, I know you've been with a lot of women, but thank you for never touching us. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> cause like, you know, that's not even like it's so, cause that's so common in the world, mm-hmm. but it was so foreign to me because like, I didn't grow up with that. I didn't know what that was. I didn't know anybody really else that did. Um, anyway, uh, that's off the track. We're talking about incest now and abuse. Um, um, so he, um, I don't know, we even know where I was going now. How about that? What was I saying? Well, I think he was supportive of, of you. He was supportive. He was, yeah, he was like in Provincetown with me. He was getting to my mother. I remember I was actually, I was always, I was doing stand-up there in Provincetown that, that summer after uh, college. But, I mean, after my freshman year. But I also one day was dressing one of the drag queens because they needed a dresser to help. And my mother was at, in the show with my sister. And she like some. She was nervous and talking a lot. And someone told her to be quiet. And she like went after them. And it was this whole fight and she was screaming and it was awful. And it Mm. wasn't even about that. It was about me dressing this drag queen. I've never told that story. Yeah. So she, it was awful. Yeah. It was painful. She was, she, she's the reason why I'm probably a sad clown. Is my mom. Yeah. You know, look, I've been in therapy for 30 years. I'm fine. But, but that, you know, you always have that. Sure. Sure woman, so woman so she never
1: say. she never came to terms with it oh,
2: with God, you no oh no I don't think so huh I don't think so. but she knew but she you know she'd always say stuff to others like she knows well, when, well Mario would do this if I asked him like you know she would always she would she knew that I was a good guy a good person because there was I never was a you know I was never a a a, a, a rowdy crazy kid I mean I was obnoxious. Yeah. And loud sometimes, but I was also, um, I think I was a good kid growing mm-hmm. up. I never gave her any shit. She didn't have to bail me out of jail, you know.
1: You know, it's interesting to me because you talked about how your father couldn't have been straighter, and your mom was actually theatrical. So you would think she it would have been so. You would think it would have been the other way around that she would yeah. would have been the one to be more accepting.
2: Yeah, more of a Mama Rose, and yeah, no, she's no. But even Mama Rose probably wouldn't have liked it if Baby June was a lesbian. So you know, <laughs> sometimes that has nothing to do with it. Wow,
1: they'll so, so, have to they'll have to do a uh, a new version of of that show. Yeah, I know. We'll <laughs> have to we revisit Gypsy. gypsy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so tell me about the very first night you got on Broadway. You uh, replaced. Uh, you took over in Love, Valor, Compassion. What's it like to to you know after all of this growing up and dreaming and you know you're in now you're in in well, um, Broadway. You know, What's
2: that I, I had a kid show I was doing stand up and then I had a children's show for five years called Steam Pipe Alley, which was actually an incredible time for me because it was like a lot of adults watching. It was a sketch comedy kind of game show, crazy, fucked up thing where I had like, games like find Sammy Davis Jr.'s eye in the pie and Luciano Pavarotti making the kids play musical chairs with whoopee cushions while he pumped gas and ate beans and sang opera. It was so weird. We had, you know, sketches like Raging Pan with Scorsese's version of Peter Pan with De Niro as Peter Pan and Joe Pesci as Captain Hook. It was like crazy, 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 crazy. <laughs> well, how'd you get away
0: with all this stuff? It was a kid it show. too.
2: Eight to 15 was the target audience and like 50 year old prisoners from Newark prison would write me letters. Um, but we got away with it because my executive producer, Bob Woodruff, may he rest in peace, just let me do whatever I want. Mommy Dearest obstacle course every Mother's Day. We have obstacle course every Sunday that was themed differently. But but it was it was just we got away with it because it was the from eighty eight to ninety three, which you know, you couldn't do that stuff anymore. I'd be arrested.
1: Now I want to ask yeah. you, was it was it your idea? Did
2: you pitch the show or someone no, came to you? No, they auditioned me. It And then they wanted to make him like a soupy sales thing where it worked on both levels. That was Bob. And then they got me.
1: Now, did they see you at a comedy club? Is that how it came nope, out?
2: Nope. I went in an audition and did characters and read copy and read the teleprompter and they gave it to me. Wow. I remember Five that. Five years. Mm-hmm. Me too. I, I had one writer, Judy Kachka, and me, and she wrote most of it. I was more of an idea person. She was brilliant. She wrote the best sketches. And yeah, so that was, that was 88 to 93, and then 95, Joe Mantello, the director of Love, Valor, Compassion, and the director of Wicked, and he actually directed three out of the five Broadway shows I've done. He um, saw me do stand-up, and I had seen him in Angels in America as an actor. He was incredible.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And he, a few months after seeing me do stand-up, he said, he called me and, and wanted me to come see Love, Love Valor, Off-Broadway. And I went to see it and I loved it. And then he called me and said, wouldn't you be great in that? I was like, I'd love to do that. And he said, well, Nathan is coming to Broadway with it, but he's only going to do like a month and a half. He has to leave to do birdcage. So come in and audition. I'm like, okay. And I'm the worst auditioner in the world. Cause I don't prepare as much as I should. I'm lazy. I'm a lazy person. Um, And I went in and he spent an hour with me in front of Terrence McNally the whole MTC uh, team. And then I took a break and then I spent another hour with me in front of them. And then it was between me and Joel Gray. Who I adore, but it was like, I was like, you know, I was 36 years old and looked like I was 12. And that was the thing. I was a little young for it. So I wasn't in age, but the way I looked, especially on stage. So, um, and then I waited two fucking weeks and I had to go do a corporate HBO gig in Vegas. And as I was flying home, I'm like, I hope this plane doesn't crash because I'll never know whether I got it or not. And I got home and the phone rang and I got it. And it was, I had 10 days of rehearsal. It's terrifying. And I remember John Benjamin Hickey, who's my friend to this day. And I adore uh, who just directed a brilliant revival of Plaza suite with uh, Matthew Broderick and Sarah Jessica Parker I love Neil Simon and it is, they're so magnificent and it's so good, I saw it twice um, so John would torture me, John Hickey would be like pretend he was Sid Luft and I was Judy Garler he's like you fucking whore, get out there and do your, do your get out there go and push me say but he he was like you're a drunk you're a drunk and you can't <laughs> sing anymore like he would do shit like that with me but he's the one that was like I had contractually I had three more days to go on the understudy was going to go on and the cast was incredible Justin Kirk and John Glover and Steve Bogardus and Randy Becker oh my god that cast and they were all like you can do it so I ended up going on the day after Nathan left and I remember Joe was like go watch it with Nathan and just see I watched it once I couldn't watch it again I, I was like terrified I'm like the laughs that he got I'm like I can't do this but I did pick the moments and steal from him for sure um but I think I made it my own too. I, I had a blast. I I I it was the it was I always say it was all downhill from there. <laughs> it won the Tony Award for best play that year. I mean it, yeah. was, it
1: was it was great. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's that's amazing. Um you know, I I wanted to go back to something. Um and, and it's going back to and just like that because Willie Garson um you know passed away yeah. early on in in, in the season, yeah. um a shooting season, and you just talk to me about that time. Um, it was horrible. It was
2: horrible and, and weird. And, and what no did you one know? Because did, did, no one knew he was sick. No, Sarah knew. But, you know, she said to her, please don't say anything. And so she didn't. They they're very, very close. And he told me like a couple of weeks. And he, we did the first, we block, we blocked did a block shoot of the first three episodes. So we did the first three episodes kind of all out of sequence so he only was really in two and a half episodes. I mean, he only, he didn't, there's a scene where in the first episode, we were going in to the theater to watch Charlotte's daughter play piano at her recital. And we have an argument and I walk in without him. And then there's a scene inside that was supposed to be with me and him still arguing about stuff. And he couldn't make it that day. Cause that, that interior was done like three weeks later. So Michael rewrote it that morning and I was like that's when I knew. But he told me ironically when we were filming Big's funeral. So um, and I thought he was kidding, I thought he was joking. And we both cried and it was awful. And I just hope uh, my, you know, my, my optimism it was like, you can do this, you can finish this, you can get you can get through this, you know. But he couldn't, he just wanted to go home because mm. he knew. And yeah. So it was weird, and then there was. Then I thought, well, because the we was it was supposed to be <clears throat> about our relationship. We were going to have a, a a big relationship arc, and what was interesting about it, it was like you know he was going to do crazy things, and I was more the one taking care of him. And the way Michael kind of put it to me is that you've evolved as as Anthony. He's evolved. And my whole thing when I did good fellas, the big hot fellas bread with all these hot guys. I was like, I must be having sex with these guys in the kitchen. He was like, no, 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 no. You don't shit where you eat. And I think you you feel that now in this point in your life. And that is, you've become more of all person. Whereas um, Stanford was going to be still kind of kooky and crazy and doing crazy things. So it was going to be really fun. So unfortunately, you'll never get to see that. So I didn't know what was going to happen to me. And Michael was like, believe me, he said, we need you now. I'm like, okay. And he he put his money where his mouth is. And, you know, and you couldn't, like he said, Michael said this in interviews, you couldn't kill off Stanford because we already killed off big. So you, yeah. can't, right, you had right, to find right, a way. Right. And people were like, well, are you happy with the way they wrote him out? I'm like, well, you write it if you're not happy with it. I actually was, How I liked that scene between me and Sarah. I thought it was a good scene. So, you know, you had to do it. And we were in the middle of it and we had to just kind of, yeah. keep going. But we, Sarah took care of people. She took, the day I came in was the day after I can't, my, I came in the day after he passed away it was the my first day back at work during it was after he passed was like the day after. And I just broke down and she held me, took me out. Cause I'm sure she had her moment the day before everyone did. So yeah, they, we just kind of all um huddled together and hmm. there's a lot of love on that set. And we just kept moving forward. And, um, yeah, and this, you know, there's there's a a thrill of my character is focused on, but I have survivor's guilt and sadness about it. And I don't know, it's a very mixed bag of emotions.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting because when I found out that the show was coming back and that Kim Cattrall Wasn't coming back, which we all knew. I thought, hmm, would be interesting to have her be the one in the group who died, because well,
2: because she had cancer in the in in one of the episodes too. In the the last exactly, exactly. And
1: here are you know, because I think of you know my group of friends that that I grew up with that I've been friends with forever. And you know we haven't had that one person in our group that's not here anymore. And I thought that that would be such an interesting story. But I don't know whether Michael already knew what he wanted to do with Mister. I Big think or, he know. did. Yeah, yeah.
2: I yeah. think he did. I think, I think you know he knew this for a while, and that's why he didn't want to do it. And if they did do the third, this this new season of just like that, that he was going to do it in in this. And I also think. Michael doesn't like to go the predictable way like that's because she had cancer. You think, well, she doesn't want to do it. You can kill her off. And I think I love the way he handled it in this with the Mm -hmm. texts and Mm -hmm. thing in Paris. It was, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but people now know that that that's it. She's not coming back. She doesn't want to do it. Yeah. That's okay. You know, she doesn't want to do it. And, uh, and it's, it's fine. And, you know, we, we, we had a great, Time. It was a long shoot. Was stressful at times. But, you know, Michael is, um, you know, he's, he just knows how to work with me. And he, you know, he's brutal to me sometimes. But I'm like, go ahead. You know, he's, he's just, he, 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 he'll shake me and be like, I, what? you know, he gets impatient. But I like that. I like a director that is tough. I I, I came up with that. I'm not a pussy when it comes to stuff like that. I mean, he's certainly one of my best friends, and he's loving. But I know how he works. He, you know, he wants to get it done, and he wants the best out of you. And he is brilliant the way he works with Mesa. And I, I was talking to Serena Chowdhury about it. We love that about him that he's that he's you know gets it out of you.
1: I want to tell you something funny. You know, years ago, you remember Frank Chindamo, right? Do you remember Frank yeah. Damo? He he yeah. started this thing when we were young comics. It was called uh Fun Little Movies, where he took two minutes of your set and he made a little film out of it.
2: Oh, yes, yes, so, yes, yes. So
1: Michael, um, they shot it in my apartment and Michael was directing me. He Frank was the director, but he had no idea what he was talking about. So Michael oh, stood, it. Michael stood behind him. And anytime Frank said to do this, Michael would just shake his head so so Michael basically directed it without Frank even knowing that he was doing it but that that's Michael you know and we all knew we all knew that about Michael you know I mean very early on we knew that about Michael
2: oh he was yeah he would always throw bits at me okay you're you're Joan Rivers and Edgar just died and you're you're on a cruise with Melissa trying to grieve and get over go and I would have to do it you know he, he would do that in the car on the way to a gig in Jersey. Yeah. yeah, but he, he, he's, yeah. I love him to death. And he, you know, look, he, he put me on the
0: map. So I want to ask you if you still do your uh, Christmas show at uh, Caroline's. No, I, I haven't worked Caroline's. And so I've gone through so many
2: clubs. Um, and not because of anything, just I did Caroline for the longest time. Because um, I think I saw you do your
0: Christmas show twice at I, Caroline's. It's fantastic. I did. Uh,
2: I love doing my Christmas. I haven't done it in so long. I still do some of that Christmas material, like the Rudolph stuff, and you know, I, I love. It. I do that at the Carlisle still because you know that I keep doing that bit about that he, he Rudolph is gay because I've been doing it for 25 years, and the, the New York Times just did an article on it like two years ago, and I'm like, catch up. I've been talking about this forever. <laughs> like you don't even know that I've been doing this bit. I've done it on every television show, and it kills. And I that's why it's like a great repeat. I just do it. But yeah, I I. I I have, I, I, but I, I, and I, and you know what I just brought back from that show too? And I do it at the Carlisle, because at the Carlisle, I'll do, I I know it's in musical rooms. I do it, look, so much of it is stand up, but I added music, more music um, than usual. Um, is the, there was a Peggy Lee bit I did, which was all about, I take, it was, I rewrote, and um, is that all there is? And the beginning of it starts off. in christmas with the house burning um but so i just i start i've been doing that again and i was afraid to bring it back but like it kills and it's such a weird bit um and i know in laugh i did the jim morrison christmas which was another musical thing yeah yeah so i don't i i i haven't done it in a while my husband and i did a show together mostly music and talking about the dynamics of our relationship. Certainly not a chronological thing, and certainly not. And then I did this Broadway show, and I sang this. We didn't do any of that. Talked about our the dynamics of our relationship. It was a really good show. We did it at Lincoln Center. It was part of the American Songbook series. And then we did a Christmas version of I it mean, at the Cutting Room, which was really, really good. But you know, I did Carolines for years. and Then I did Gotham for years. And now I'm at the Carlisle. And I'm like, I'm good with this.
0: So, what's it like being up on stage now, post-pandemic, all that stuff? Is it does it feel like it's back to to normal?
2: Well, yeah. Well, Mister Carlos, an 80 seat room. It's very expensive, and you know, it was so I I did it in April, a whole week and was sold out, and then I just did and these two nights I'm doing, I completely sold out. So I, it feels tight, you know. But I haven't gotten the COVID knockwood. I don't know how I didn't because I've been exposed to it every every single. Yeah, um,
0: I haven't gotten it. sue you haven't gotten it either. Have you? I have not. Yeah, you know, you know what blood you are?
1: You know, I I don't know.
0: I don't either. I, I don't. Is that is that a
2: thing? now? That, it, sometimes I'm, I'm. It's O O positive or O negative. They say either if you get it, it's very mild or.
0: Because I'm a, I I'm a, a bit of a stoner, and I've read that uh, there's been all sorts of research that says that if you uh, use cannabis, it there's a correlation between that and not getting COVID. That that could be one because everybody I work with, uh, I work over at ESPN. Everybody I work with has had it except me, and I'm like I'm just like the dumb lucky stoner who hasn't gotten it yet.
2: Yeah, uh, maybe I don't I don't stone anymore. I used to, but I I I. I uh, every variant I've been exposed to, and I I have don't know how. Yeah, so, and so, I mean, especially but, traveling, too, you know? <clears throat> oh, yeah. Oh, God. I still wear my mask on the plane. I don't care. I wear it. But it feels normal, again, in the clubs. Yeah. The thing is that, you know, it's not fun to do anymore because you can't say what you really want. You can't say everything. Good. Okay. So let's people. go. Let's, let's That's go what there. I
1: was going to ask you yeah. as far as the you political can't. correctness crap. Like, no. um, yeah.
2: Because this Generation Z, these pussies. Right.
1: But what about the Carlisle? Because <laughs> the Carlisle is kind of an older crowd. I still do what I do.
2: I still do. I still do what I do and say what I want to say. I certainly withhold for sure. But it depends on the crowd, too. Um, they're older, but. Conservative? Last night. Sometimes, but you know, they are the biggest pigs of all. Sometimes, and they enjoy me. But it was like last night was packed, and I went. Is there any you know gay people here? Two lesbians. Mm. No gay people, and I was like, ah, oh, I'm beloved by my people, aren't I? <laughs> um, I was like, well, yeah. but it's always been that way. Like I would be up on stage at Caroline's, you have packed house, killing. Being a gay man in the nineties, and there were like no gay people there. Hmm. It's all straight. It's well, gay people don't go to comedy clubs. They don't go to stand-up clubs, really. Um, well, they didn't back then. Anyway, yeah, or maybe they just didn't come to see me. But it was mostly straight crowds. So yeah, uh, I get like more like older gay gentlemen or gentlemen my age, or you know, in their forties. The kids.
0: Well, you said you can't do what you used to do or you can't say what you you used to say. uh,
2: Well, I I, I actually do say what I used to say, but like this, I want to rip apart this generation, this generation. I want to, I do a little bit, believe me, I come at them, but you know, uh, well, just because they, you know, they, they, there's no, they have no skin. Mm -hmm. They have no thickness to their skin. And I think it's because of overprotectiveness. I was talking to a teacher yesterday, who works in New York City, and I, I, it's it's an art school, and a public school. They're not allowed to flunk anybody. Hmm. And this is what's happening. Everybody's special. Everyone's equal. Everyone gets a ribbon. Everyone gets a medal. That is going to ruin this world. We're all the, the fall of Rome is happening anyway. That's just gonna accelerate it because no one is gonna have the capacity, the uh, the intelligence, the um, the 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 knowledge of how to do things and run things and work things and work them with a, you know, with a hard grip instead of a kit glove. Because I'm telling you, you need to, I mean, you can't say, you know, you can't speak to anybody with the tone. It's like, look, this is the way I grew up. It's like, it's too bad. It doesn't mean someone doesn't love you or care about you. It's just, you know, people have tone and impatience and, you know, it. it's awful. I mean, you can't, you know, there's a company a theater company I know that they took out of their core values. One of the things they took out of it was excellence. So, in other words, anybody can play any role in any show. Like it's like it's all, theater is all about excellence. A corporation is all about excellence. It's someone is going to get the job. Someone's going to be better looking than you. Someone's going to be smarter than you. Someone's going to be more talented than you. There's always someone better. Period for anybody. And you're not gonna. It's not gonna always be you. And that's what creates drive and going after someone. And that I'll show
1: them. Right, right. And strength. Like I, I, I saw strength. Colin Quinn recently and he does a, a piece in his act where he talks about HR. Yeah. And he was saying that HR they become like the new detectives, you know, it's like Law and Order. Like you'll be at work and and an HR person will come over and say, "Hey, so uh, did, did they hurt your feelings?" Did someone hurt yeah. your feelings? <laughs> <laughs> it's like ridiculous. I mean, I got called in on uh uh and at, on with HR at a job that I was working on and I, I was accused of like I was joking with somebody. Oh, forget it! And it was like you got to be kidding me. No, I mean, are, 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 you, are you are you feeling are your feelings really really hurt, or are you trying to just like get some sort of like potential lawsuit going on here
2: with yeah with, you with don't me? you don't know yeah I mean it's you know I mean this Bill Murray thing I I I, I was told by a decent source that it was such a nothing joke. And they shut down a movie over it. It was also Aziz Azari directing it, which is a whole other thing because he had his thing with the past that, you know, so they pulled him out. I mean, it was just a whole thing. I, I, maybe it would have been different if he wasn't directing it. I don't know, but I heard it was a nothing joke and he's the nicest guy and he's so talented and he's so generous, Bill Murray. I, I mean, really? We're going to lose him? It's awful what's going on. It's terrible. It's like McCarthyism. Yeah, it yeah. really is.
0: Yeah, it oh, is. Yeah. The,
2: yeah. It is no question, yeah. And it's you know it's a, not all of them, but it's a lot of the young ones. It's a lot of
0: the Z Packers,
2: the Z Packers, the Z Packers, the Max users. The, they'll
1: you know it'll be like a, like remember that movie? Was it wild? Was it wild in the streets? Um, it was a movie that, that was in the '60s where anybody like under 26 was not cool, and they wanted to kind of get rid of like the like the older generation. Yeah, you know, yeah, and. I kind of feel like a, a resurgence of something like that, but in the reverse. Yeah, <laughs> we that's just want to get rid of the people yeah. who are very young because it, it really is detrimental. I think.
0: Well, and I mean, let's get let's get real. I mean, I, it's funny. I was having this conversation with my partner last night, and uh, you know, we were talking about the fact that um, you know here, you know, I've been I've been a a good liberal my whole life. Um, I um, you know came out as gay in twenty fourteen or whatever it is. I, I, I live uh, you know as, as openly and as conscientious, conscientiously as I can. And yet there are people who have now taken things to uh to extremes, I think. Yeah. Um and it's those extremes where we all get into where guys like unfortunately some somebody like Bill Murray uh, gets, gets trapped or somebody who, you know, makes one, one says one thing and somehow that wipes out or outweighs everything that somebody has accomplished in their entire lives. It really is. uh, It, it, we really do live in, in a, in a scary time, I think from that perspective. And I I think for you, like you, like you say, it is, it's this next generation. It's this, Generation Z that uh, that gets uh, worked up and pissed no off over, over the smallest
2: things. Oh, no question. And, you know, and it's straight and it's a lot of them are from our community, too. And it's, you know, the young ones. It's like, and, you know, for, for a generation that doesn't like labels, they have more labels than any generation. In the history of generations. It's like, I can't, I mean, the letters LGBTQ, okay, and then they keep IA. I'm like, all right, why don't you just put the whole alphabet there and we can call it a day? I, you know, I mean, it's cis, and and then cisgender, uh, like these pansexual. I'm like, what is that? Are you attracted to lost boys? What's pansexual? I don't understand that. I mean, I, 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 like all the work, I mean, when I was I was gay, lesbian, bisexual, fluid. It's okay. What's fluid? Isn't it bisexuality? Unless you're fucking zebras and orangutans, I, I could see you going. Yeah, out how fluid fun. are Maybe you? Maybe that's fluid. But it's 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 a man or woman or trans. I mean, that's pretty much bisexual. I don't know. You want to call it trisexual But I mean, I just don't. I don't. I don't. The the labels are. I can't keep up. I try, but it's very By the way, Mario.
0: Here's the thing. We're we're smart people, both both gay guys. We I'm trying. But it does oh. it, it it is complex. Yeah. And you know
2: what? The pronoun thing, I don't want to give my pronoun.
0: Yeah. I've
2: been around way too long. If people know me. You know what my pronoun. Is. I don't have to do that in the room. Sorry. Right. Um, you know, and if you're gonna take offense to that, then you are pushing your shit on me. So you're allowed, and I will definitely receive your pronoun, and I respect it, and, but I don't have to say it. I mean, I, I, I just, I'm like, I just find it really difficult. It's really, it's difficult to keep up. And um and I also want to know this. Who was it? Look, when I was young, I was called a fucking queer and a fucking faggot mm-hmm. and a sissy, which is why cisgender triggers me. Um, <laughs> but... Like fucking faggot, fucking queer. Who was it that made the word queer the umbrella word for the LGBTQ community? Who was that? It wasn't me. It wasn't a. I don't think it was a male homosexual of our age. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I. I don't know who did that. And and it's not like we've taken back the word like the N word where black folk can say that we cannot. But a straight newscaster on television can say the word queer. Anybody can say the word queer. And I just I'm like, for me, I'm like, this is the word fag. I'm a fag. How about that? I'd like to hear a newscaster go uh, today in the fag community. The <laughs> outrage was burning in Union Square. I mean, how about that? I mean, what's the difference? I was called both of them in a very harmful, uh, scary, yep. uh, bullying way. So I don't get who made that decision. I don't like
1: it. I've heard a lot of uh, gay Guys say that they want to be called queer. I
0: hate it. I'm not. A, I. I. I don't like it. Um, but I guess my opi- our opinion doesn't matter. Yeah. But I don't like it. And I don't know who's making these decisions. I mean, if we're going, who? Who? Like, can I go to the talk to the manager about exactly how these terms are coming down? Because I'd like yeah. to have a and have a say in it. And have a say in it.
2: I'd like to have a say in it too. I. I really wouldn't. But we. We don't. And it's also obviously a younger generation that's doing that and that's fine. But, you know, I'm still here and I still look young and I'm included too. Yes, exactly. You know, it's not as inclusive as they think it is.
0: Hey, last thing I wanted to ask you, do you think you'll ever actually, because I, you know, when I leave for work every day, the view is on TV. Yeah. And I see you a fair amount of the time on the view. You do, you do that show a lot. It's been a while. Yeah. But yeah. Do you? Do you? Is that something that you love doing? Is that something? At, at one point, I read a report that said somebody might retire and you might potentially. So that was join the show. Time. Yeah,
2: that was a nice press. Believe me, and I think Barbara really liked me, and Bill Getty, who was the executive producer, they liked me a lot, and they, I think, they pushed for me. But the the, the higher ups were not going to do it, and also Barbara she created that show for it's all women. It's supposed to be all women. They, yeah. Yeah. They toyed with two men and three women, but they, they, they just didn't happen. And then they were going to do an offshoot of it. And that didn't happen. <clears throat> it was going to be Brian Gobble, me and like three women. Bill Getty wanted to do it, but then ABC didn't bite on that, you know, and now the talk has got two men and three women. So they, they've, they've shifted up, but the view is, staying its course and it's uh, and 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 on its original vision of it all being woman i think would whoopi wants it that way and i don't blame them that's what it was i had a great look i got to do you know before before they became a show that was mostly about politics at the time it was you know i I was doing you know oscar recaps emmy recaps musical segments comedy segments movie it was a blast and and co-hosting a lot you know, I, I just did a, the last one I did was a few months back for their 25th anniversary. They did a really nice two minute montage of what I've done on the show and brought me out. It was lovely. I mean, but I don't do it as much. And when I do do it, except for that one, it's usually something politically based. Like I went on and did Scaramucci to him. So and he was there. So it's not what it was as far as what I used to do on it. But that's, you know, the direction it took. But once in a while I still do it and I, you know, I love them all over there. I have, I, you know, and, and it's okay. Look, you know what? I'm doing good. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I have no complaints about what's happened in my life.
0: It's a little late. I'm exhausted, but I'm I'm good. So you are uh, on your way to last. I'm trying to think when this is going to air. Is there anything that you want to uh, to promote? Do you have anything, any gigs coming up that you want to talk about? don't know. I, I have not. No. <laughs> you know what I'm going to do? I'll, I'll do some research. And then at the end, uh, after we uh, after we play this, we'll we'll drop in what you've got coming up. Steve, I
2: can't believe you're homosexual. Why is that? I would have just never thought that.
0: Really?
1: I nope. know. I thought he was joking when he told me.
2: You just remind me of like a very straight kind of, I don't know you that well, but a straight kind of just, you know, comedian disc jockey, podcaster that's very intelligent and smart but you you have a sense I think it's unbelievable. I think it's great. Congratulations. I'm happy. <laughs> well, well, thank you, Mario. Thank would you. that be oh. the same
1: as that people think sometimes that I'm not Jewish?
2: Yes. That, <laughs> there
1: have been people that would say to me, I was like, like you passed, yeah. and I was like, oh, so I can belong to a country club? I mean, what do you yeah. mean? I, yeah. like I got a, like a golf, a golf. Country <laughs> yeah, club? I know
2: the Bear Hill Country Club in Stone, Massachusetts. No, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, uh, people know I'm Italian, but I, sometimes people are like, I thought you were Jewisher. Yeah, I thought you were Latin. Are you Puerto Rican? No, I can play it all, but you can only play one thing. And that's a gay
0: Italian man. Because you
2: can't play anything else. You're not
0: allowed. Um, Mario, listen, this has been fun, man. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. I had a great time. Thanks for coming so on. I was, I was a little low-key, but, you know, we had a good conversation. I, I think it was we all were. It
0: was, it was good, though. We yeah, got into a good groove there. Good groove. Yes, it
2: was. All right. Well, thank you so much.
0: And uh, I'll see you all soon. Okay. Thank but you, thanks, Mario.
2: Mario. I see. Bye, Sue. Thank you.
0: There you have it there is Mario Cantone I really loved uh, the affirmation uh, basically congratulations on being a homosexual was what Mario said to me at the end there right
1: <laughs> What does it feel like when someone says I just didn't think you were a homosexual I'm very surprised what is that what is, how does that feel like
0: this is authentically who I am
1: Yeah yeah well you're you're very much like a guy's guy yeah. which isn't something that you usually see. In someone who's gay. Speaking of which, how about yeah. the Mets?
0: <laughs> they lost
1: two <laughs> games in a row. I'm going on Sunday.
0: Are you going? Yeah. Uh, Dodgers um, beat the Mets two in a row to start the uh, four game series. Mets are really good, but Dodgers are are really better. really yeah. They yeah, they the they prove they
1: prove they're better. Yeah. So it'll it'll be interesting to see if they can pull out maybe a win. Yeah, you know yeah. I don't even I don't even know who's pitching tonight for the Dodgers, but it's it's it it you know well they only lost two nothing the first game um, last night was like
0: six six one I guess yeah. so and tonight we're all going to see uh, Kathy Ladman's uh, new show.
1: Yes, I'm very very excited about. And that. you got a
0: little advance notice. Uh, the show is called, by the way. Does this show make me look fat? We had Kathy on the show uh, a couple episodes back. Um, and I my understanding is its sold out all three nights, sold out. yep, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. And you got a little word from Cat. Did she feel good about opening night?
1: She did. She felt really good and uh, read some uh, some comments on Facebook. People thought it was brave and and funny and um, really commended her for uh for taking on um the subject matter, you know about anorexia and awesome and, and you know and mixing it in with with humor. Cool, so,
0: yeah. Well, I will, uh, I will see you there tonight. All righty then. All right. There you have it. There's your Culture Pop podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop podcast on Apple, Spotify, and at stevemason.com. Please leave us a rating and a review, and we will see you next time.